Good morning, everybody. How's it going today? Hey, good to see you guys. Hey, last Sunday of 2018, are you excited to be here? Awesome. We've got a Ducks Bowl game coming up tomorrow. Exciting stuff. How many of you are going to take, you watch that? How many of you have to work, though? Raise your hand if you have to work and you're going to miss it. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to be at home watching it. Don't you just love me? So good to see you guys today. Man, I'm excited about today. I'm going to share some really cool stuff today, and then I'm going to preach. Um, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're at least going to get one cool thing. But I want to just call out somebody uh, really special to me, uh, two people really special, Denny and Jan Martinez right here. Can you guys stand up real quick and just wave real fast? Or just wave, that's fine. These guys are Kayla's parents, so we have them to thank for her helping Kyle get his act together. And... Uh, these, these guys were elders at Joy Medford for at least 2,000 years. Is that correct? <laughs> Something like that. Pretty much there from the beginning. The world's best youth pastors there, my youth pastor. So most of the gray in Denny's beard is probably from Aaron, his son, and I. The vast, all of it, in fact. But I just want to honor them. They're visiting us today. Thank you guys for everything you poured into me. And most importantly, I thank you for the clam chowder that you poured into me that I will be consuming later. I'm actually going to have you come over and literally pour it into me. <laughs> Danny Martinez is one of the best chefs slash cooks, food preparer type individuals ever. And he makes clam chowder that literally turns things to gold. And he called me or texted me yesterday and said, I've got some clam chowder. You know, do you know who I should give it to? And I'm like, tell me the time and place. Literally, if I was having open heart surgery, I'd be like, just time out. Hold on. Seal me up. Give me the clam chowder and then go back to that. So I'll be enjoying that later. Maybe I'll enjoy it tomorrow at the bowl game while some of you are working too. But anyways, they're with us today. Just want to say welcome to them. So glad to have them with us. And they're actually helping uh, Aaron. You guys heard him speak. Uh, their son Aaron is the pastor of Joy Grants Pass. So they are on the planting team. And we saw him there last week just doing a great job. And you guys are crazy going to two church plants in your life. Just going for it. Awesome. Well, we're going to jump in today. And uh, I just love this, this Sunday being the last Sunday of 2018 looking back at the year and seeing everything that God has done. And, you know, I talked about this during first service, but when I look back at 2018, I say it was a really, really good year. Not because every day was perfect, not because nothing bad happened to us. Bethany and I and our family actually walked through some very hard things in 2018. I know so many of you have had a good year, but you've walked through hard things. So how can we as Christians and followers of Christ look back at a year that had hard days and hard moments and say it was a good year? Well, I say that because God is with us and has been with us every step of the journey. And one of the very best things about being a Christian is the fact that our hope is not just that we get to go to church on Sunday. Our hope is not that we become marginally more moral or spiritually upright people. Our hope is in resurrection life. Our hope is that this, that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so we could be reconciled to God by believing in him through faith and trusting in him, that even when our physical mortal existence ends, whether that's tomorrow or sometime far in the future, that we get to walk into eternal life and live with God and be with him forever. And so no matter what circumstances happen, whether your life was good or this was a good year, or every day was great, or if it wasn't, if you have Christ, you have it all and you had a good year. Come on, can I get an amen? If, if you had Christ, there's hope uh, through every circumstance. And so I'm excited about that, uh, that even through the hard times and even through the difficult things that maybe happened in your life and in my life in 2018, I can look back and say, thank you, God, because I hope in you. You are my, my resurrection in life. You are my foundation. You are my hope. You are my joy. 
And that's our hope for even 2019, right? It's going to be a really good year. Before we jump into the message today, I wanted to just share a couple of statistics and look back over the year. So I've got our Joy Church 2018 stats. You guys want to hear them? All right. It's kind of a rhetorical question because I'm going to tell them to you anyways. So I said, do you want to? But I'm still going to do it. Even if I'm, no, sorry, man. Curmudgeon anyways. All right. Anyways, uh, here's some stats for December 2018. Uh, last Sunday, not last week when we were online, but the week before that, we had 468 people here in attendance, which is pretty cool. Really cool. Uh, 468 people. And we had 321 a year ago on the same day. So just to show the, the growth and how many people have come in. Yeah, that's awesome. We can cheer about that. Uh, 462 average attendance this quarter over the couple of months, and then 363 a year ago for the same quarter. What does that say? It says God is bringing new people in. It's exciting. Maybe some of you joined the church, joined the family in 2018. Welcome. So glad you're here. Man, I'm excited to see who God's going to bring in and add next year. Awesome. Uh, Number two, we had 25 joy groups that happened this fall. And let's give our joy group leaders a, a hand, right? Let's thank them. If you lead a joy group, so grateful that you pour into people's lives, that you feed them, that you pray. Joy group leaders opening your homes. And I know how it goes as a group leader. Sometimes you don't want to have other people in your house. For me, there's only this 365 day span where that's the case. But for other people, it's not quite like that. Just kidding. All right. 25 joy groups happened this fall and 269 individuals attended a joy group just in the fall alone. Really exciting. Uh, Number three, 36,120 welcome home and I have decided cards, pens, and envelopes have been prepared and placed and put away since we began. So if you see those envelope cards in there, they don't just come from heaven like manna. That's not where they come from. Raise your hand if you're on that team, if you serve or help on that team. Anybody in here? Their hands don't work anymore. They're just too, they're serving so hard. So cool that those are happening. Uh, Number four, this one's great. 48,561. That's the amount of times Kyle has flipped his hair this, last year. <laughs> How many of you guys come to church just for that? You're like in the back eating popcorn, like I'm, the worship's good, preaching, whatever, but I'm waiting for, oh yeah, there he did it. Okay, that's awesome. Number five, 170 volunteers served just this fall on the dream team. 170 volunteers, awesome. 7,224 positions were served since we began. Wow, pretty awesome. This one's good. 10,324 feet of pipe and drape have been set up and put away since we began. So second service people, you don't always see it, but with the first one, we have a dividing wall. It's like the Holy of Holies and we have that wall, but all the, the barriers that you see. And most of that has been set up and torn down by John White and his team, the set up and tear down team. And so this stat is for him. He's not in the service this time, but 2,623 times John White has said, amazingly awesome. If you've had the privilege to hear him say that, at least one of those times, you're a lucky person. All right. Number six, 55,624 ounces of coffee have been consumed since we began. (laughs) We're not a spiritual church, but we are caffeinated, right? You're going (laughs) to make it up somewhere. 57,792 donut holes have been eaten since we began. (laughs) Don't worry. I'm not going to point out the person that ate 54,000 of them. It was one, one individual. No, I'm kidding. Thanks for shouting out. <laughs> Number seven, 162 people have graduated from Next Track since we started Next Track. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, 162. And this is really cool, and we'll finish up here. 
on these stats for 2018. Number, number eight, 683 people filled out a welcome home card since we began. So 683 people saying, I want to be a part. I want to find out more. I want to get connected. And this one's really cool. 212 people have filled out an I have decided to follow Jesus card since we started. Awesome. Awesome. Man, I love being a part of Joy Church. Such a great church. Uh, just an awesome group. And the reason why this place is awesome is because of all of you guys. So give yourself a big round of applause. Such a great place to be. And I'm excited for 2019. But as we close the year, as we close the book on 2018, we're starting a new series. And I think it's very fitting that we start this new series. It's called Clean Slate. And we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks, the fact that God is a merciful God, that he's a forgiving God, that God wants to wipe the slate clean. Now, how many of you, if you're a man in this place, you, you know the fact that you need a do-over, right? All the time. You know, how many, in marriage, I'm like, I'm so glad my wife is like God and that she's merciful because I get it wrong so often. It's like a daily basis. I find myself saying, babe, I'm sorry. Will you give me another chance, right? And uh, how many men would stand with me and say, oh, that's where I'm at too. Uh, we need a do-over. And I, I love the fact that with God, God is not just this all-powerful sort of Zeus God with a lightning bolt ready to bring the hammer, uh, ready to bring, you know, judgment down upon uh, all of us as we, anytime we step out of line, but actually he reveals himself in scripture as a merciful God. And he's willing to wipe the slate clean. And I want to talk about that today, the fact that God is merciful, that it's a core attribute. It's essential to his very nature that he is merciful. And it's different uh, than the way most of us probably conceive of God or think of God, but it's, it's true. And we're going to see that in the scripture. But before we jump into the word, I just have a question for you. Have you ever been caught totally red-handed in something? Anybody? Like, your hand is in the cookie jar and there's, you pull it out and there's cookies, crumbs all, all over you. Like you caught red-handed, guilty as sin, no questions asked. It's like you were caught. Anybody? So for me, this is a regular occurrence because I'm a church kid and I have what they call a Pentecostal conscience. It's like, I can't not get in trouble. It's going to happen. I'm going to get caught if I do something wrong, usually because I, I fumble the ball and give myself away. But Recently, this happened to me where I was caught and just, just guilty of sin. We were driving from Eugene to Medford, and we've done that drive, you know, I think two or 300,000 times, it feels like. And so I was going a little bit faster than the suggested <laughs> speed. <laughs> oh, that's a limit, not a suggestion. Okay. Anyways, we were driving. We went through Roseburg. And how many of you know getting through Roseburg is like an objective, right? Not, you don't stay there. You get through it. There's a lot of people that are related more closely than they should be. You know, I don't, I'm not making any, anyways, just having fun, guys. It's the last day of the year. Come on, give me a break of the church year. So we're driving through Roseburg and I was going, you know, maybe like faster than the speed limit. And a state policeman just so happened to have a little laser gun <laughs> that he pointed at me and he pulled me over. So I pulled over there and I was sitting there with my guilty conscience. And he, he came over. The guy was like five and a half feet tall, but he had like a seven foot tall hat. His hat was actually intimidating to me. He didn't even need to have a gun. His hat was so intimidating. It was just a very manly hat. And he came over and he, he put his arm on the car, you know, and the window was rolled down and I was in the driver's seat. He was at the passenger seat. He put his hand on the car. He looks over and he says, sir, is there a reason for your accelerated rate of travel? I 
I wanted to get there faster, you know? <laughs> what am I going to say? He got me. He knew the exact speed I was going. Like, he, he, he tagged me. I was lasered. I, he got me, right? I was caught red-handed. And you know what I was thinking in that moment was like, gee, I sure hope he says, have a nice day. Because isn't that a great moment? When you're caught red-handed and they're like, have a nice day. And you're like, I will. You too. I love police. I just thank God for the police. He gave me a ticket. I hate the police, man. The police are so coming down on people. This isn't fair. You know, I got, I, he gave me a ticket. He, he brought the judgment to bear. And I'm still paying more insurance. And, you know, it's not a good situation. But anyways, I was guilty of sin. He caught me red-handed. I was speeding. I was breaking the law. If that wasn't enough, my daughter from the back seat goes, Dad, pastor shouldn't get speeding tickets. I got a child abuse ticket too. It was crazy. It was weird. <laughs> Same time. No, I'm kidding. It's a joke. I'm looking back, trying to smile at the police officer and like at the same time growl at her. You know, that, that smile where you're, <laughs> looks like an insane person. So <laughs> I was, I was judged. Like I was caught red handed and, and he brought the weight of the law. Now what's funny about this story or not funny. It's just, we get it. It's intuitive is that I deserved to be punished because I did break the law. I broke the, the speed limit and I was caught. It was proven. It was, it, was an, it was an open and shut case. There wasn't any doubt about it. And I couldn't say, even though I didn't like the punishment, even though I don't want to pay more on car insurance, I can't say, oh, it's not fair. Oh, oh, I don't really deserve this. I do deserve it. I was caught red-handed. But other times I've been caught red-handed. I've been shown mercy where I did something really wrong and the person that I wronged forgave me or I did something wrong in my life and I received mercy and forgiveness from God. And mercy is just a beautiful thing because sometimes when you really step in it, when you really are guilty and yet the, the hammer doesn't fall, that's where we want to be, isn't it? The, to, to have that, that kind of realization, like I deserve to be punished, but it's not happening. Now, it's funny to me because when we talk about justice and we talk about mercy, all of us have this really fine-tuned sense of what is fair. And this isn't taught to us. It's, it's really intuitive, even from, the, from children at a very young age. I never taught my kids what fair was, but they knew it right away. As soon as they could open their mouth, it was, that's not fair that Jackie gets to do this. And it's not fair that Evie has this and I don't have that. And why does she have a cookie with a dragon on it? And my cookie has a knight on it. That's not good enough. It's not fair. It's not fair. And how many of you know, we have this really highly in tune sense of fairness and justice. We're really good at keeping score and knowing when anyone has stepped out of line, especially if you're married, right? You know. Remember 10 years ago when you told me that your mother was coming over and then I said this and then you said this and I said this and you said this. Like your memory works so well when it's about keeping score, isn't it? It falls apart when you're trying to remember anything else, but when it's about human fairness. But what's fascinating about this sense of fairness that we all sort of are very aware of at all times and keeping score is that we don't really want things to be fair. Because if everything were just needed to be fair and equal and even, then realistically, none of us should have clean water or a place to go and put our heads down in safety because a lot of people in the world don't have that. So it's not fair that you have clean running water and a nice house and electricity that works pretty much all the time. And people in another continent or another country don't have it, but we don't want fairness to work that way, do we? We only want fairness to work one direction. And so we find ourselves in this, this position of, of kind of an incongruous mindset. But into all of this is where we, we see God step into the picture and he kind of has to blow everything apart because we found ourselves in a sticky wicket. We found ourselves in a conundrum of sorts, a, 
of where we're all highly attuned to fairness and keeping score and it's all about justice and this person wronged me and I'm a victim and they need to pay me back and they did this, but I don't want to receive judgment for what I did and I love mercy. I love it when I'm caught red-handed, but somebody lets me off the hook. And what's fascinating about this is God steps into this and he reveals himself in scripture as merciful. God is merciful. And he says it himself multiple times. In the book of Exodus, chapter 22, verse 27, he says, I am merciful. Does anyone need any translation or pastoral wisdom to unpack that one? I am merciful, he says. Exodus 34, 6, as God reveals his name, his character, he says, says the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. And this is way different than how most of the time we see God, but it's a core attribute of God. Most people see God through the lens of of an angry preacher with a huge King James Bible and their face distorted and contorted in anger and rage as they curse you and damn you to hell and you're gonna burn forever. Most people see God through that lens. They see God through the lens of a father that was abusive in his correction or discipline. They see God through the lens of an absentee father that wasn't there. They see God in a distorted way, but it's not the real God. They might see God as this God of pure judgment and justice, but they miss the fact that he reveals himself to be a God of mercy, which in no way diminishes or demeans his justice. In fact, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But God reveals himself as merciful. It says in Psalms 103, verse eight, the Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. That's a shocking verse. Did you know that God knows all the things that you do wrong? And the fact that he doesn't bring the hammer down doesn't mean he didn't see. It's that he's merciful. It's, it's interesting to me because there's times when I, when I don't want him in my, my head or around me. God, don't look at me right now because I want to do something over here. And God, could you just go look over there? God, why don't you go deal with the Mormons? God, why don't you go deal with Canada? They've got problems. You know what I mean? But leave me alone and let me do my thing. But that's not what happens. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro. It's kind of scary. It's like these wide open eyes just, you know, (laughs) flying around. God sees everything. But what, what does this show us about his character? He does not punish us for all our sins. It says he does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. God sees everything we do and what we truly deserve. But it says for his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. God is merciful. It's one of his core attributes. He sees, yes, everything that goes wrong. He sees what we've done. He's like Santa Claus. He he knows when you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Seeing Christmas songs after Christmas is sort of wrong, isn't it? My kids were like, let's listen to Christmas music. And it just felt dirty. (laughs) And I told them, Jack told Bethany, he said, mom, she was packing up all the Christmas decorations. He said, mom, why are you killing Christmas? So I said, well, son, you have to kill Christmas so it resurrects next year. Otherwise it doesn't come back. So it has to die. God sees, but he's merciful. He doesn't give us everything that we deserve. Now, where are we going with this? Well, you probably are quick enough to pick up the fact that if we hold on to this sense of fairness and we demand fairness, that we're going to be in a very sticky situation because 
if God who sees everything that you've ever done and everything that you ever will do, and he sees all uh, of your wrongdoings, if he were to hold you accountable for those, really in the final analysis, not one of us would ever make it. And so if we cling to this notion of it's not fair, I'm a victim and this person owes me something, then we're going to find ourselves in an interesting position. And we'll talk about this. But as we close out this year, and I don't think there's a more important message that we could even talk about, we're just going to do two really life-changing things. The first one of those things today is we're going to receive God's mercy. Receive it for ourselves. Connect with it at a personal existential level. Connect with the mercy of God not as an abstract concept floating out in the theological ether, but actually bringing God's mercy and, and saying, okay, it belongs to me and it applies to me in my thinking, in my acting, in my doing, in my relationships. Like what does it look like to be a person who lives under the, the smile of God and experiences God's mercy? We're gonna receive it. Number two, as we do that, we're going to also look at giving God's mercy to others. Now, that might not seem very profound or a big idea, but it is very big, a very big idea to receive God's mercy for us and in so doing also give it to other people. Now, this first one, talking about receiving God's mercy, it's very interesting because receiving God's mercy is actually incredibly difficult. Now, maybe you're sitting here today and you're going, man, receiving God's mercy, that sounds great. Like I won't get punished for everything that I've done. But the, the, the thing about mercy is it wouldn't be mercy unless you didn't deserve it. Conversely, you, what we really deserve is justice and punishment and judgment because we've done wrong things. Anybody alive in here today? We've sinned. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no translation error or interpretation thing when it says the word all. It just means all. All people, everyone has fallen short of the standard. Nobody makes it. Nobody in their own goodness or righteousness levels up with God. It just doesn't happen. And so when we talk about receiving God's mercy, when we receive his mercy, what we're acknowledging is that we need his mercy. What we're acknowledging is that we are sinners who stand in need of judgment for what we've actually done. I was pondering this last night and I was thinking about the fact that it's actually harder in some ways to receive mercy than it is to receive judgment. And here's why. The judgment hurts externally, but mercy hurts internally because mercy is a fire that burns your pride to the ground. Because when you are a person who stands before God and says, yes, God, I need mercy because I'm actually a sinner and actually what I bring to the table isn't good enough and actually who I am at base level is not basically a good person. It's basically rotten to the core and therefore I need your mercy you can't simultaneously be in a position of receiving God's mercy and also standing in pride. You receive mercy on your knees. You receive judgment on your own two feet. God's mercy is a fire that burns our pride down to the ground and it hurts. It hurts to admit, God, I messed up again. Just like in the, in the poem that, we, that Landon did and, and Luke painted that beautiful painting. Isn't that incredible? Amazing that new leaf poem came to the throne with a quivering lip, with a, you know, saying, God, I've spoiled this one. Can I get a new leaf? It takes humility. It takes a position of getting on your knees and admitting that you're broken. But what's phenomenal about this is when we receive God's mercy because we have humility to admit that we're sinners and we need it, 
that we're actually wrong and that we don't have what it takes in and of ourselves. God's mercy can actually change our hearts. God's grace does what effort cannot do. God's grace does what earning and, and, and religion and striving to be better, what, what it cannot do. Because when you receive God's mercy, what you say is, I don't deserve anything, so I'll take it all. Because I have no, no capacity to earn my way towards God or to be good enough or smart enough or pretty enough or handsome enough or whatever it looks like that we feel like we have to do to make a mark in the world that we could never do that when we come to that place of humility and say, God, I'm just going to admit that I need you and receive your mercy. It's so transformational because all of a sudden you let the most powerful force in the universe, the presence of God, come and begin to be activated in the deepest, most intimate places of you as a human being. And you cannot not change. And yes, I know that's a double negative. When God comes and begins to dwell in you through his mercy and you let him into the wounded, broken crevices and you kind of let down that prideful guard, all of a sudden this amazing new life begins to emerge. That by his spirit, he begins to bring resurrection life. And so today I want to challenge you to receive God's mercy. See, maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, well, I don't need God's mercy. I'm not in a state of, of, of needing his mercy. I'm good enough. I'm okay because I prayed a prayer 25 years ago and I go to church every week and I tithe. That's good. Don't stop doing that. <laughs> Pastor Jake, you know, I, I'm, I'm really just thankful for this message today because there's a lot of people here that need it. <laughs> there are. <laughs> there's a story that Jesus tells about a Pharisee he prayed in the temple and he said, God, thank you that I'm not like that guy over there. You see, we, and the, and the tax collector, the guy that the Pharisee was pointing at was beating his chest saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm going to preach over the next couple of weeks about the idea of a clean slate and this concept of justice and salvation and really how we've been keeping score since the Garden of Eden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when we ate the fruit, we began to know you owe me something, I owe you something. Immediately there was blame. There was a scorekeeping and we've been keeping score ever since. And God knew that he had to do something radical to come into that crazy world and, and do something with it. And, and that's where God's mercy comes in to bear. But you have to be able to admit, I need mercy. It, it's, it changes things. And if you're here today and you're like, ah, I don't really think I'm the person that needs God's mercy, you might be the person that needs God's mercy most of all. And I would just ask that all of us right now, whether you feel insecure and totally sinful, like you've gone too far and God could never do anything with your life, let God's mercy come and enter your soul, undeserved and yet utterly powerful to transform you like your effort never could. Or if you're on the other side and you say, no, I've done enough and I don't need God's mercy. No, let God's mercy enter your heart in humility and transform you from the inside out. Number two, as we receive God's mercy and let that power work in our lives, we get connected with something that literally takes supernatural power to do, which is to give God's mercy away. Now, just like there had to be the presence of wrongdoing for God to give us mercy, for you to give someone else mercy, there has to be the presence of wrongdoing and offense and victimization and hurt and pain and real sin and evil. You can't show someone mercy unless they actually have done something that is undeserving of it. Hear what I'm saying? 
even though they don't deserve it. Because if people deserved your mercy, if they deserved your forgiveness, if they deserved your grace or the grace of God coming through you, then it wouldn't be mercy. But just like God's mercy can transform our hearts, mercy brought into uh, the the day-to-day living of life and giving mercy to other people and uh, forgiving people, not holding people accountable in the sense of fairness that we have, but, but forgiving and releasing people in our hearts and showing them mercy. I'm not saying consequences don't happen, okay? Hear what I am saying and what I'm not. But in our hearts, releasing people and demonstrating mercy, that welcomes in and invites the Holy Spirit to begin to work in that person's heart. You see, at the end of the day, God wants no one to perish. There is no human being on this planet that God is saying, I really hope that you lose. And yet that's the position that we place ourselves in when we hold an offense or we will not show mercy or let God's mercy come through us. That mercy that came to us, we won't let it go through us. We basically say there's a category of person, whether small or large, that is not gonna be in. And God does not permit that, does not permit us to live this way. Now listen to this verse. I'm gonna read you a verse that I don't like. Okay, is that all right to say? Some people are like, I don't know. James 2.13. I don't like this verse. I wish it wasn't in the Bible. I wish it wasn't true, but it is. He says, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. What? That's not fair. It's actually eminently fair. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Man, I don't like that verse. I wish that wasn't in the Bible because don't you wish that we could sort of hold someone else accountable for what they did wrong while we get a free pass? Wouldn't it be nice to be on the freeway and the person that just cut you off on the belt line, the same cop pulls you both over, he lets you go and busts them. And then you just laugh (laughs) the whole way. Like nobody wants to admit it, but everybody's kind of like that, aren't we? We like to see when someone else gets their comeuppance. I don't even know what that is, but it sounds really cool. Have you received your comeuppance? (laughs) I have. We like to see when somebody else gets their just desserts, but we just want to eat dessert. You know, we don't want, that was a good joke, you guys. Come on, I'm just wielding the English language like a ninja. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. And here's where it comes down to. Every one of us will either choose out of our own free will, God's mercy or we will choose God's judgment. And you can't have it both ways. We've all been hurt. We've all been the victim. We've all been victimized by the decisions and choices of others. We've all been victimized by the fallenness of the created order in the world. You know, there's, there's situations in our life that nobody did anything to us, but we're victimized by it. One of our children has a, a defect, a birth, you know, from birth. And it's not critical to their health, but it's something that Bethany and I wish could be changed. We pray daily, change this thing. God, would you change it? We, we feel victimized. We, we feel like our child is victimized by something that happened that was outside of our control. It was the fallenness and the, the brokenness, the corruption of creation that is groaning for resolution and reconciliation with God. We've all been hurt, whether by other people's conscious actions or just by life as it goes on. We've even hurt ourselves but we've also played the other role and hurt other people. And if you can't see that, if you don't see that you've at least at one point in your life put yourself above another person or hurt someone else, you're probably pretty blind. 
And here's where it lands, that we can either decide to be the kind of person that keeps score or we can be the kind of person that operates with a clean slate. And this is what God is saying. You can't simultaneously be the kind of person that keeps the scorecard and writes it down. Well, this is what she did to me and this is what he did to me and this is what they said and, and, and holding on to that score and yet God has your scorecard and he's wiped it clean. Those two realities do not cohere. They can't work together. So it's not, when we talk about God being merciful and God also being just, when God shows mercy to us, he pays the entire bill. He paid it all at the cross. Every sin is wiped away, not because God just made it disappear by magic, but because he paid for it with the blood of his son, Jesus. And that blood is effective and meaningful to wash away sins. And you can receive that clean slate and step forward into a, uh, that pure and spotless robe. Or you can say, I'm going to stand in my own righteousness. I'm going to stand on my own two feet and I'm going to keep score. And I'm going to make sure that, that people that owe me something are going to pay that bill. I mean, if you read the New Testament, you can't escape the fact that God is saying it's one way or the other. You either operate with a clean slate or you keep score. And if you keep score, I'm keeping score because you can't do otherwise. Now here's the big idea and let's land it right here because there are restaurants that we need to go eat at today. Can I get an amen? In a world of justified retribution, someone has to break the cycle. See, this is the world that we live in. We're gonna shoot some missiles over our, our wall and kill your kids. Okay, you shot missiles over our wall. We're gonna shoot missiles over your wall and kill your kids. At what point does that ever end? Because somebody is always being wronged on both sides. And if we keep score, it's just going to keep happening. And that's the world we live in, isn't it? If your gang comes across here, it's like the whole world is playing Red Rover, Red Rover. But with guns and everything, you know, your gang comes in our turf, we're going to shoot you. Well, if your gang comes, then we're going to come shoot your people. Well, you do this to us, we're going to come and beat you down. Well, no, and it's not just violence, it's all kinds of things. It's happening in marriages, it's happening in families, it's happening across creation because it's the result of sin and this sense of fairness and people trying to be their own saviors and settle their own accounts. And so God steps in and he says, listen, someone's going to have to, to choose to release and give up the scorecard. And God is coming to you today with an eraser saying, hey, this is a really powerful. Would you like to use this on that, that, that card? because I'm going to use it on yours, but you're going to need to use it against for the people that have wronged you. Now, what's crazy about all this is that we are not the hero of the story because even though I'm talking about God showing us mercy and our ability to forgive others, the first individual that stepped forward to break this crazy cycle was not a human being, it was God himself. We know from the scriptures that God looked down at creation. He saw that we were separated from him. And the world was broken and in sin. And he, he became a man. He became Jesus. That's what we celebrated at Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. And he walked on this planet. And he didn't get into a situation where he kept score and got into a revenge cycle or a one-upmanship. He didn't do that. He lived his life spotlessly, pure, he suffered as we do. He shared in our suffering, but he didn't sin. And he offered his life in an act of supreme mercy. And his blood was shed and it can wash away every sin. There's an old song 
What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, I'm out of key, so I don't, you don't even have to play, but oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. And I love that song because it's the purity of the gospel that I can be a scorekeeper or I can be a clean slater, but I can't be both. I have to decide, am I gonna let that blood of Jesus wash me clean? And am I gonna be a person that now steps out of that kind of reciprocal life and that crazy cycle that steps into the kingdom of God and says, I'm gonna be a person of mercy that shows mercy to the people that don't deserve it and lets God's mercy come to me and go through me and change the world around me. But where does it all start? It starts with that recognition that it was God that broke the cycle, that he is merciful and that he offers us a clean slate. If you're here today, and I don't care what your background is or where you come from, what you've done or what you're doing, I, I don't know and I don't need to know or want to know, but I wanna tell you something. You're not here by accident. I believe that the Holy Spirit brought you here through some means and mechanisms. You go, no, I saw a TV ad or no, somebody invited me. Well, that's the, the way that you came, but the reality of that you came is because God brought you into this moment so that you could hear that he loves you and that there's a way for you to have a clean slate that if you'll trust in Jesus and what he did for you at the cross and you'll stop keeping score, that you'll stop trying to earn your way to God or stop trying to be good enough to get his approval. But if you'll just receive his mercy, you can only do that on your knees. You don't have to literally get on your knees, but in your heart, you have to be in that place of humility to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but you're my savior and receive it today. If that's you and you wanna pray this with me, you wanna make that decision, will you just pray with me right now and let's all pray together. Dear Jesus, I confess my sins to you. I know that I've fallen short of your standard, but I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me. You made a way for me to be reconciled to God. I receive you today and I give you my life. Every part of me, I put my trust in you and in you alone. In Jesus' name. Amen.